Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I got to tell you, it's good that the NHL has finally heard the screams and cries of people like me, the white 40-year-old suburban male, and booked Weezer for the NHL Winter Classic. You know what, Greg? (laughs) I know you want to make this about you, but I really feel like this is the NHL catering to their young Generation Z, who just wants to hear their cover of Toto Africa. That's the thing. Like, I feel like there's going to be a certain push-pull now that Weezer's been booked for the Winter Classic in that you're going to have a lot of people, Generation Greg, who wants to hear stuff from, you know, the Blue Album and Pinkerton. And then there's going to be a lot of other people that are just like, I like the Toto cover. I'd like to hear that. And I'm sure they're going to play it, which means that if they get three songs, one of the songs is dedicated to a, a bad cover an unnecessary cover, a karaoke-level cover, and not to the actual good Weezer stuff that happened, again, when I was much younger. And they're not going to play Undone, a.k.a. the Sweater Song, which is just going to piss everybody off, because that's really singable. I Rivers Cuomo in a hockey jersey is probably something I didn't know I needed, but I'm going to probably need come the Winter Classic. But hey, listen, again, when the bar is set at not Kid Rock... <laughs> Pretty much everything the NHL does is going to be pretty good as long as it's not Kid Rock. All right, coming up on ESPN on Ice today, a real good show. Uh, Seth Jones of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Colton Sosserman of the Utica Comets. If you don't know him, you know his beard. Linda Cohen <laughs> from ESPN and in the crease joins us as well. A pack and stack show, including a pretty high-profile coach firing. All that and more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And we both sat back and watched the chaos unfold in Philadelphia this week. My God, you thought it was chaotic when they introduced a googly-eyed sentient nectarine as their mascot? No. True chaos is a coach walking into his general manager's office and saying, Hey, I've read all these reports about me being fired. Can you give me a vote of comp? And the GM's like, You're fired. So it's really, really great to see things normalizing in Philadelphia. Yikes. I think... Anyone you talk to in the NHL will say, on or off the record, it wasn't handled great, uh, you know, especially this being the holiday season. We have to remember, as much maligned as Dave Haxtell was as a coach, he could have lost his locker room. The players weren't playing to him as well as they could have. He's a man with a family. Yeah. And to have it unfold this way, it just it's really unsavory. And I know Chuck Fletcher is a good man, and I know that this is the way he wanted to orchestrate it, but it really just feels like things are out of hand in Philly, and who's running the show there? Well, it's no way to treat the third longest tenured coach in Flyers history. Let me reiterate that. Dave Haxtall was the third longest tenured coach in the history of a franchise that's been here since the late 60s. And let's remember that he was hired before the 2015-16 season. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, like you said, handled completely poorly. Like when is the last time you ever saw a situation where a coach reportedly is, is, is fired on Sunday, then it's Monday. The team says he's not fired. Said to you, in fact, he's not fired. 
Well, and that's the thing. I don't think he was fired on Sunday. He was their coach Sunday night, and Monday morning they have a practice. He shows up, and he's no longer the coach, and Ah. someone else is running practice. Right, exactly. He shows up, practice starts, he's not running practice. Everybody's like, "Uh uh-oh, this doesn't portend good things for Dave Haxtall. They actually had a situation where they started practice without the head coach and didn't have a press release prepared for when they had to then announce this news. So there was the the slow trickle of everybody in Philadelphia confirmed, Hextall fired. And then, like, the press release eventually came out about Scott Gordon being promoted from the AHL. Um, Just a cluster of a situation as far as the rollout of this news. But what's done is done. What's said is said. Before we get to to where the Flyers are going, we should probably pause on Hextall for a second. I I always felt like he was a, a better NHL coach than given credit. Um, I do agree with the criticisms that is that that preparation was an issue at the beginning of the season. The team was extraordinarily average. It always seemed like the Flyers were digging themselves out of a hole, but sometimes mm-hmm. they they dig pretty good. The shovels would work, and and all of a sudden you look up and there's like an 11 game winning streak, and now all of a sudden they're back in the playoff situation. Makes the playoffs twice. Uh, they don't go anywhere either time. Um, obviously, a coaching tenure completely undercut by some of the more horrific goaltending that we've had in this league in the last three years. Overall, I think he did an okay job, but I, I tend to believe there's not going to be a second, a second job for him in the near future. I, I think he'll be hired as an associate head coach somewhere. I really do. I think the problem with Dave Haxtell is once he got there, he always came with his asterisks. Well, he was, remember, you know, now it's the norm, but the first college coach, he's the second college coach ever hired directly from college ranks to the NHL, the first in forever. Um, he's always known as the guy who, hey, he coached the GM's son. That's why he got the job. So I feel like people didn't give him the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, but and, also remember, he's also the guy whose last name sounded like the GM's name. And that's why he also got hired. <laughs> that's exactly it. He just got hired for the future confusion that it would unfurl. But, um, yeah, it, it happened. And I think the most interesting thing now that we ask is, and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, is who's running the show? Because Chuck Fletcher was hired as the new GM. And I think it's really interesting that ownership was so bullish on him as the number one choice. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, okay, he's going to get the say on the coach. He's going to get the say on where this goes. But then we start to hear these Q rumors, and then you mm-hmm. hear Chuck Fletcher say, well, I haven't had contact with Chuck, uh, Coach Quenville. No, he's out skiing in Colorado. I haven't at all. Well, they're coming from somewhere. So it seems like this is the guy that ownership has really targeted, and does he come or not is the question. Obviously, the first question is whether it's actually skiing or if it's shot skiing, because it could be either, knowing Quenville. Who says they're mutually exclusive? That's true. Second, I, hey, listen, I've only been skiing Who's once in say? my life, and I sucked at it, and I sucked at snowboarding. But if there's a way for me to go skiing that requires me to just sit in the lodge by that fireplace all day and drink beer and pretend that I did something that, you know, the reward is is worth it, I'd do it, because that was lovely. Um as far as the Flyers go in Fletcher, I found it to be really interesting in two ways, this press conference. The first was obviously the news that they hadn't even reached out to the Blackhawks yet to gain permission, which we'll talk about later in the Phil Kessel segment. The second is that Scott Gordon, who had a, a two years and change with the Islanders as a head coach, has been a head coach in the American Hockey League forever, is the interim head coach of the Flyers. And now Fletcher has said before that he is open to solutions to these this team's problems from within the organization. At one point, 
Scott Gordon was kind of a rising star in the coaching ranks. Then he mm-hmm. got to the Islanders, didn't work out. He was an assistant with Toronto for a bit. I do wonder what would happen if he ends up being kind of a Bruce Cassidy for this team. If all of the young players he had in the American Hockey League start playing well under his watch, which is kind of what happens in these situations, they they, they realize they have a friendly face, maybe an, an advocate for them that Dave Haxtall wasn't, and all of a sudden a lot of the grunts on the team turn their seasons around. What if this team does turn the ship, head back towards a playoff spot, and all of a sudden, you know, Scott Gordon's the coach of a wild card team? Like, do we all of a sudden stop talking about Joel Quenville? Is Scott Gordon now the guy that is perhaps the solution behind the bench for them? I don't know. The way that Fletcher framed it was he's going to coach out the rest of the year, and he's going to be the guy that's going to help me evaluate this roster to see what needs to be done. But he didn't give him a guarantee that he was going to finish out the coach of the year. That was just the plan. Right. And I, think and that's I guess the maybe, distinction. Yeah, maybe that's the wiggle room that he's looking for. But he does say that that's the plan, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, and maybe he's just saying that as lip service to get the players to not quit outright and wait for the next guy. Um, but I, the way, the way that Fletcher talked about this team wasn't a situation where it made me think Quenville's coming in tomorrow and then they start figuring out stuff. It made me think that he needs to kind of figure out stuff about this roster before he hands it over to the other coach. And again, like I said about Quenville the other day, why the hell does he take this job now? Like, you're getting paid six million dollars to ski or to go tailgate with Bears fans. And you don't have to go behind the bench of a losing team. You can come in and be the white knight for after Fletcher makes some moves with this roster, after they, they maybe you know, if you if you're Joel Quenville, why come make a team that's a lottery team good? Isn't the whole point that they could end up in in in, in the uh, in the Hughes Derby, and then all of a sudden you've got that asset on your team now? Like it makes no sense to me that he's going to come in now when he can rest up, make money, ski, do whatever, watch the Flyers get a high draft pick, and then come as a come in as a conquering hero after Chuck Fletcher's you know traded Wayne Simmons or gotten a veteran defenseman through free agency. Yeah, I mean, you've probably, this is not the first place you've heard it, but anyone I know when I talk to that have talked to Joel Quenville since he's been fired has said the same thing. He wants to coach again. He's anxious to coach again, but he wants the opportunity that gives him the best chance to win right away. Now, I think we all need to remember this Flyers team. Like, I project them as a playoff team before the season, before it spirals. I hope they were a lot. Good roster. Yeah, it's a great roster. I'm mad about it. I'm really mad about it that I said they were a lock. Sure. But the season, the damage is done this season. So as you said, why take it over now? It's the same reason why he wasn't rushing to go to the St. Louis Blues if they had called. The damage is done this year. It's not a playoff team. Like you said, just chill and wait for the right opportunity. Unless, and we've seen this happen a lot of times with coaches, we see it why Ken Hitchcock is back in the league after saying six months ago that he was ready to retire. He's that antsy. Of course, if they do make the playoffs, I could just come, come back and say that this is exactly how I thought it was going to play out. And that's yep. why I said they were a lock. We will re-edit this podcast in a couple months. <laughs> yeah. If you were listening to this in June 2019, right. this sounds a lot different. All right. Chuck Fletcher said that he hadn't spoken to Joel Quenville in over two years. But that doesn't mean that he might not have sent him a passionate letter about joining the Flyers. And Emily, if you're going to send a letter to anybody this holiday season, you best be <laughs> using stamps.com. Here's the thing about stamps.com. It brings you all the services of the U.S. Post Office right at your desktop. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And then the mail carrier picks it up. No trips to the post office required. It couldn't be easier. 
especially if you're like me, you've got yourself stacks on stacks on stacks of Christmas cards to send out to people. The Stamps.com thing makes it a heck of a lot easier. Not only saves you time, but it saves you money. Stamps.com helps you print the right amount of postage every time. You never overpay again. And with Stamps.com, you get discounts on postage that you can't even get at the post office. With all the time and money you'll save, Stamps.com is the best gift you can give yourself this holiday season. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale that's without any long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top on the homepage, and type in ICE, I-C-E. That's Stamps.com. Click that mic, like the ones that Emily and I speak into you every week, and enter the promo code ICE. Speaking of ICE, a guy who's seeing a lot of time on it this year, Seth Jones, the Columbus Blue Jackets, joins us. Dude, are you tired is my first question, because your ICE time has literally jumped by like two minutes a game. What is, what's behind that this season? Why are you playing so much? Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, my legs feel good so far this season. Obviously, I started the season uh, with, the, with the knee injury, but uh, when I got back, the, the coaches made it clear that they were going to, um, you know, play me a lot this year, and um, I think that's pretty good stuff with, with the ice time I've got. So I'm happy that um, you know the coaches can put me in that position to to go out there and um, constantly see the ice. I wanted to ask you about last season because, you know, last season was a, a real breakout year for you. Um, fourth in the voting for the Norris Trophy. Were you, were you bummed about not getting into the, the final three there? Um, and, and do you think that it's one of those marketplace things? You hear some people saying that sometimes guys in markets like Columbus and, and smaller markets don't necessarily get the same uh, spotlight shown on them as, as players in bigger markets. What, what do you, what do you think was behind, uh, not making the cut last year for the, for the Norris finalists? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, that, that's not up to me. Uh, my job is to go and play, and uh, whatever happens, happens at the end of the day. But um, I thought I, you know, had a pretty good season last year, and um, I'm happy that I, you know, my name is even up there in that conversation with some of those, some of those, the great defensive in the league at the moment. Um, you know, that are really in their primes at you know 27, 20, 29 years old, and um, uh, you know, I'm like I said, I'm fortunate, I'm happy, and I'm lucky. Um, to be in that position, but it's definitely, um, you know, a little fire inside there, um, you know, when I wasn't in the top three, but um, that, that obviously, you know, comes with more uh, opportunity to, to grow as a player and uh, to get better each and every year. So, um, you know, my big biggest critic is myself uh, when it comes to my game, and um, I pride myself in, uh, you know, working hard each and every game and, and being a leader and uh, uh, someone that my team can count on every night. So your coach, John Tortorella, is one of the best in the NHL, but he's also known as becoming a bit of a meme sometimes, you know, maybe a caricature. <laughs> and so I'm curious, your buddies back at home must ask you, like, what is he really like? What's, like, the one story or one thing you tell them that might surprise them? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's just quite a bit. Um, I don't think I could pick out one story for you. But, uh, you know, it's always uh, – um, it's always fun coming to the rink every day and seeing what's uh, what's going to happen. And uh, um, you know he's he's been a lot better. Even uh, when I first got traded here, um, you know we were in the middle of, of really changing the culture here. I think and um, into you know being a winning culture, being a professional environment. And uh, I think we've done that. So he's you know we have a young team. He's 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 definitely taken a step back and he's changed and he's grown as a coach. And 
he understands he can't coach the way he used to, uh, uh, especially with us being as young as we are. So um, he's definitely given guys more leash. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, he's been great for us. He's hard enough, pushes us. Um, he holds everyone accountable, uh, and that's really the main thing that I like. It's interesting that you say he has evolved a bit, but I am curious. Do you remember the first time he ever chewed you out? Um, I remember the – yes, I do, actually. What was it about? Uh, the year I got traded um, to Columbus, uh, I had a, it was the last game of the season against Chicago. Uh, you know, we were playing Panarin, we were playing Kane, and, and, and those guys, um, very last game of the season. Uh, I'm not sure my mind was that game. We were out of the playoffs <laughs> already. Uh, but first period, um, five seconds into the game, Panarin and Kane, I fall down, they go down a two-on-one score, like seven seconds into the game. Um, so I say what Torch says, you know, whatever happens. They, I think Panarin and Kane end up connecting for two more goals when I'm out there. <laughs> he comes, how they did all season pretty much to everybody. Um, he comes in after the first and, and just rips me a new one, said I'm going to sit on the bench, uh, sat on the bench for the entire second period, didn't see a shift in the second period. Um, and then I played in the third period. But, yeah, that's what – that was the memory I had of my last game um, just of uh, the year I got traded here. Wow. You, and, you, and then you changed your shorts uh, during the intermission. Yeah, exactly. No, I had, <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to grow up quick. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Panarin. You know, obviously one of the things that we're all talking about with the Blue Jackets this year is the future – what Artemi yeah. is going to end up doing? What's what Bob's going to end up doing uh, when when free agency hits? Is is that something in the room? Is it something that ever comes up amongst you guys? Do you ever pull Panarin over to the side and be like, "Hey, dude, you know we're building something kind of nice here. It'd be nice if you if you put pen to paper uh, before <laughs> next summer." Do you ever do that? Um, you know, not really. I think we've kind of turned it into more of a um, a fun topic. To be honest, I think oh, yeah? earlier in the year it's kind of um, you know it was a, a thing in our locker room that wasn't wasn't positive. It was kind of in the way of things. And, you know, during camp, there was a lot of media questions and everything. And um, we sat down as a team and had a meeting about it, um, coaches and, and players. And, you know, it is what that's, you know, these guys, that's their right to do what they want to do. And, um, you know, we have to, we have to put it out there. It was kind of an L I'll say to start the season. And, and I don't think it, I don't think it uh, is anymore. So, um, we kind of laugh and joke about it, the both of them, Bob and Panarin. And, um, <laughs> you know, if they want to stay, they want to stay. But, um, you know, the, we're, we we know we're gonna, the, the, we're going to get the best out of them this year. All right, I'm sorry. I'm a sucker for anecdotes. Panarin just seems like a beauty in terms of personality. <laughs> What's your favorite story about him? Oh, my favorite story about him. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, – you know, he still can't speak great English, uh, but he's actually a pretty funny guy once, um, once you get, you know, once he opens up and, and, uh, he's got some decent one-liners and, um, he can't put, really put a whole sentence together. Um, but, uh, I don't know if I have any funny stories. Do you remember any one-liner that really impressed you? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, that, you, that you can say on a Disney-owned podcast? <laughs> he loves days off. Days off? Oh yeah, loves days off. Always <laughs> tell him. Always tell us go into Torts' office, get us a day off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Every time hey, Torts walks through, a day off tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey Seth, so your, your dad's an assistant coach with the Indiana Pacers. I was wondering because I, I know you kind of bounced around as a kid a little bit. Like, who who's your NBA team? And and also, what do you think about 
where the association is at this point as far as you know how many stars are 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 there how many compelling it's like a it's like an ongoing soap yeah. opera every night on twitter with the with the nba what who's your team and what do you think about the nba these years this, these days oh man uh, my favorite nba team i don't really have one um, ah. to be honest i i have favorite players uh, lebron's kind of my favorite player um i like the greek freak too uh i like washington <laughs> player um but yeah i mean it's uh i think the nba is there's a lot of good uh a lot of good characters, a lot of good personalities, I think, in the NBA right now, to be honest. Um, they, get, they get a lot of publicity. Um, obviously, they get a lot of national TV games. Uh, I love sitting down and, and watching basketball, honestly, uh, whenever it's on. Uh, I know the Pacers are doing well this year. So my dad, they're, um, they're playing some nice defense this year, I know, uh, watching their games. And, um, yeah, so basketball... You know, if I didn't play hockey, I would definitely have pursued basketball. But I love watching on TV and, and playing for fun in the summer. When you when you see uh, as a pro athlete, when you see some of the NBA NBA guys taking runs at each other through the media or on Twitter or whatever, like yeah. are you sitting there being like, "All right, they're all in on the joke," or is it real heat, or what do you think that is? Um, I'm not sure. You know, they're 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 all over Twitter, and uh, especially when the rating. I love when the in the NBA 2K ratings come out, or the NBA Live ratings come out. <laughs> Uh, that's the best time to fall on on Twitter. Um, uh, but no, they're, you know, they, I think they go back and forth, but I think it's, you know, it's competitive nature, obviously, but I think also it's, you know, a little bit for the show as well, um, which I think is good for the, it's really good for the game. Their game's growing, um, like Motama right now. Uh, the value of the NBA keeps going up and up, especially with that the $2 billion TV deal um, and everything like that. So, like I said, the players are, you know, I think the the, uh, the PA in that league and the, and the NBA, and NBA association itself allows the players to be who they are. You know, you see them coming to the game in these crazy outfits and um, <laughs> kind of showing a different side from basketball that people don't see on the court. So, so I think this might have even been a conversation I had with you at the player media tour, but we all talk about hockey culture, and it's, it's obviously very different from that. Do you ever see a situation where – Maybe it's not exactly as the NBA is now, but hockey players will catch up a little bit and start to, you know, get in those Twitter beefs and memes and and, and show their personality a bit more. Maybe uh, getting a little more endorsements, things like that. Um, I think so. I think it's going to take time. I think um, hockey's been such a cultural thing from the start. Um, you know, you can't. It's hard to compare the, the basketball personalities to the hockey personalities. Um, just, you know, I've never been in that at the top of that league and seen that, the way they act. But, um, you know, we, we have a couple of guys that uh, really run, I think, run the personality category in our league. You know, PK's the guy that, um, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of taken the, um, the role of, of being that guy for our league. Uh, I think he does a fantastic job. I know sometimes he gets in, you know, he gets a bad rap from it in our league, and, and I'm not sure why. But, uh I think guys are slowly going to start following along in his footsteps, and I think a lot of new, new younger guys will. Um, I think slowly will, the culture will start changing a little bit. The guys showing um, their personalities away from, you know, away from hockey and, and that sort of thing. Cool. All right. Last thing, Seth, and thanks for your time. I understand that you like to cook. Is that true? Yep, I do. What? It, what? First of all, is it therapeutic? Because it's therapeutic for me. I like to cook just because it, it's yeah. something to do, and, it, and you're following the recipe, and and life is in order. Um, and but more to the point, what's your favorite thing to cook? 
I kind of think, well, first off, start the first one, I think it is a little bit therapeutic, honestly. Um, you know, I, it depends on the day. I think sometimes after practice, I'm so tired and so beat. Or the day after a game, I just don't want to do anything. Um, and I'll go out to eat. But sometimes I do like to cook and, um, you know, maybe you'll get a glass of wine while you're cooking and put some music <laughs> on and, um, and just kind of hang out and, like you said, follow the recipe and, uh, and just relax. So I think it's relaxing, uh, cooking. Um, and I really like doing it, like trying new things, cook for my teammates quite a bit. Um, I think it's fun. And then uh, my favorite thing to cook, man. Um, I actually tried chicken, homemade chicken parm, uh, chicken parmesan uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I did the breaded chicken, pounded it, did the whole nine yards. Yum. Um, and then I actually bought one of those uh, pasta machines, you know, the rollers. Oh my yeah. God! I was bored. I was bored one day, so I made uh, some homemade pasta dough and rolled it up, and you know what I mean. Put some oh. linguine on the side of it. So yeah, if I always saw those machines, and I always said to yeah. myself, if I got one, I probably would never use it just because I'm just lazy. I'd just go out and buy, you know, Barilla. All right, Seth Jones, you're the best, and Emily and I promised to get you into the top three in the Norris this year. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. Even though you don't care, we'll do it anyway. (laughs) All right, man. Take care. All right, see you guys. Thanks. Well, our thanks to Seth Jones and the Columbus Blue Jackets for that awesome interview. And I love discovering that he loved to cook, just like you and I do. And (laughs) did all of you know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? (laughs) And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL's team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar for dollar match on all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Automatically, no caps, no signups. You redeem your rewards at any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats to the game. Maybe it's a Blue Jackets game, your favorite player's jersey, maybe it's Seth Jones. Or maybe you just buy some new headphones and listen to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members, limitations apply. But Greg, do you know what limitations don't apply for? What's that? Satch. Let's hear his number. Yeah, it's time once again uh, for Satch Got Your Number, one of our favorite segments uh, here on the show, in which, uh, in which Satch and Shandon uh, joins us to... Uh, give us a bit of hockey trivia, and then we have to guess what the hell he's talking about. This Eastern Conference team has the youngest roster in the league at 26.2 years old, despite not having a single rookie currently on the roster. Who are they? Oh, that's good. Okay, so obviously it's a team that doesn't have an oldie my like first Chara. Is, yeah, so my first instinct was going to be the Devils, but they do put Andy Green weighing them down. Yeah, Literally they have a couple of older players. All right, so uh, Eastern Conference team, youngest without a rookie on the roster. Um, I'm going to go with – oh, that's – it can't be the – I'm going to go – I'm going to – no, the Rangers definitely have rookies. I'm going to go one. with – I'm going to go with um oh, with the Capitals. Oh, that's good. Oh, no, Orphic though. <laughs> Mm, I'm totally stumped. I'm going to go... I'm just going to throw a dart at the board, okay? Mm-hmm. The Florida Panthers. All right, let's see what Sasha's. 
The Columbus Blue Jackets are uh. the youngest team in the league weighted by playing time. Gabriel Carlson is the only rookie to appear for the team, but he has bounced between the big club and the AHL where he is now. Well, that, you know, that we both kind of spaced because that would be just too much synergy for this show to actually have the trivia question sync up with one of the guests. That's way too much planning than usually goes into this show. No. <laughs> I'm just rejecting it. You know, it's wacky, Emily. The Pacific Division this year is very wacky to me. Didn't they kind of call this wacky. before the year? I think you might have. I mean, like, it's gotten even wackier. Like, San Jose was going to be a team that I, I actually, I was looking back at predictions. I had them in my cup final. I'll keep them there. I, th- I still think they're a playoff team that can figure their stuff out in the playoffs. And God forbid, you know, they find one goaltender worth a damn for four rounds. They might be all right. But this Calgary thing, neither of us saw coming. Uh, me because of my crusade against Bill Peters being a good coach. Um, but like a plus 29 goal differential and 46 points in 34 games is pretty good. And, uh, they're blowing out teams. They're scoring goals left and right. Uh, 122 goals in the season. That's, I'm, I'm genuinely blown away by how good they've been this year. On paper, they can be that good, but with the goaltending deficiencies, with some of the top heaviness of the lineup, I'm, I'm astounded by them being this good this year. You know, Greg, the team that I'm most impressed by? Who that? The Anaheim Ducks. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the team that is old and slow and ridden with injuries, and yet here they are as one of the hottest teams in the league right now. And I have to ask, we talk so much about who should be the GM of the year. What about Bob Murray, who signed a two-year extension recently? And, uh, you know, everyone's kind of wondering why it's weird. Why are they giving him time to rebuild? <laughs> well, he's made all these incredible moves. Uh, small moves, though. He goes out and gets Daniel Sprong. He just pries him away from Pittsburgh where he's being underutilized. Yeah. Kid produces right away. Pontus Aberg picks him up on waivers in October. He plugs right into the top line when there's some injuries. He's got so many guys out right now. Like Raquel is out. Goaltending. They had John Gibson shouldering so much of the load early in the year. They go and get Chad Johnson to be back up when Ryan Miller is out. And everything just seems to be working out fine. And here they are near the top of the division, which they have no business being in, in my opinion. And they don't. And that's kind of the thing that's been baffling about it for me is like they're third, they're third from the bottom in the league as far as, uh, shot attempt differential at five on five. Everybody knows that the goaltending has propped them up in many ways, uh, this season when, when they brutal, especially it. the first month. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they, they're still kind of digging their way out of there. But I mean, as far as Anaheim, they've got the best team percent, team save percentage at five on five. So it's certainly a situation where the goaltending, I think, has, has kept them, uh, stabilized during some of the more tumultuous, tumultuous times of the year for that roster, but maybe it's a situation where they've played out of it a little bit. I'm sorry. I, I am literally stunned though. As much as I'm surprised about Calgary, I'm stunned that we've had five head coaches turfed and none of them are named Randy Carlisle. Like if you had told me that before the season, I, I would, I would have put you in a straitjacket because honestly, I thought this guy was, was not long for this league, the way he coaches, the way the team plays. They're still playing like it, but they're still second in the division. So obviously, uh, no, no firing will befall him as of right now. That said though, why we're talking about the Pacific, Pacific is that it's super tight. 46 points for Calgary, 43 for Anaheim, 41 for San Jose as we do the show, 40 for the Golden Knights who themselves have had a heck of a turnaround and keep in mind, have not even had a, a majority of their games on home ice quite yet. And then, of course, the Edmonton Oilers roaring back into relevance with 39 points in the last wild card spot. The Ken Hitchcock effect in full effect. 
they're giving up better. They're giving up less quality chances. They're giving up less shot attempts. Uh, Kostinen is all of a sudden, you know, on everybody's lips as being one of the better goalies in the league this season. It's it's remarkable to see what that turnaround's like, you know, when it happens, and it happens everywhere Ken Hitchcock goes. Do you think we're going to have a situation now where the Pacific is going to send five and the Central is going to send three? Like, is this how it's going to end up being? You think? Yeah, sure. Because we were all talking about how competitive the Central Metro divisions are, and look at them now. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I I still think though. I, I listen. I I, I think Minnesota is a playoff team. Um, you know, to get there probably means getting there through a wild card. So I'll still say it's going to end up being four on four. I still want to say that there's a chance that Anaheim's going to drop out. It's a long season. I I don't want to say that this is sustainable what they're doing, but then again, they have, have a guy who's probably going to win the Vezina this year. So a great way of grinding out late games, though. I mean, did you watch that game against Pittsburgh the other night? Down to nothing, scored yeah. four unanswered goals. All right, who are we talking to next in this dumb podcast? I am so excited to welcome our next guest. He is a defenseman for the Utica Comets, but he also became a viral sensation in the past couple weeks because he shows up and he looks, you'll, you just have to Google him. It's Colton Saucerman. The thing I wanted to find out from you, because you kind of mentioned this in one of your early interviews in Utica, was during, during your life with this beard, has it been harder to live up to your name or live up to the beard as a hockey player? <laughs> um, I think it's more just, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I just try to live up to like, I guess the name and what I'm known for as a player. And when people watch me play, um, I think the, the facial hair is, uh, <laughs> always just going to be there. I, I don't plan on ever shaving it anytime soon. So, um, I think more just trying to live up to my reputation as a hockey player and, <laughs> and follow, um, you know, follow how I play and, and what I like to bring to each team that I play on. So I'm going to have to ask you questions about your career and actual hockey stuff, but I'm not stopping on the beer just yet. So my understanding okay. is you were uh, with Toronto last year, maybe it was a tryout, <laughs> and being under Lou Lamarillo, that of course means you can't have facial hair. So you grew this entire thing under 12 months? Yes. Yeah, so I the, the story was is I, I got invited to the Marlies camp probably two days before the camp started. And my agent calls me and goes, yeah, they want you to come, but you have to shave. And I literally, I mean, I almost told him no. Like, I, I didn't want to go originally because I was like, I called my dad. I was like, is this for real? Like, And he's like, yeah, I mean, just shave it. You can grow it back in less than a year anyway. So did the camp. Start of October, I went back to Manchester. And from probably that second week of October until, like, February is how long it took to get it back. <laughs> that's incredible. It's, that's a hell of a decision. Yeah, it's a hell of a decision. Have you ever? Yeah, have you, you said. Have you ever figured out what the uh, the, the facial hair uh, thing with Lamarillo was, or why any team would want to, you know, take this personality bit away from a player? Well, I mean, I I completely understand his you know his thought process. It's the same as you know the Yankees, the old you know it's the old school classic you know look professional type thing and. I got no nothing against that. It's just I don't. My personal opinion, I don't think that facial hair or or you know or tattoos for that matter mean non-professional. I think it's just how you carry yourself on and off the ice that determines if you know you represent your team and, and your city well. So I got to ask you, hockey's a contact sport. It's sweaty. You got a helmet on, and and you're running around there, skating around there with your beard. What's the most disgusting thing that's ever happened with your facial hair uh, on the ice? <laughs> um, 
I mean, the, the like water, Gatorade, like my own spit, blood, like <laughs> it, it all kind of goes in there. Nice cocktail. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I guess I've never really had uh, anybody else, you know, like nobody spit on me or you know anything like that. Or I, I had one guy grab it. That was, I guess, the one. Only one player, I guess, since I've been growing it out, has grabbed it. But <laughs> it's the probably gross- my own my own doing with the Gatorade and the water and stuff. <laughs> the grossest I've ever heard. It was Connor Murphy, who's a defenseman now for the Blackhawks, and said he was playing in the World Juniors against Patrick Laine, who had long hair at the time. And uh, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you know, in a scrum, and he comes out, and there's just a chunk of Laine's hair in his mouth guard. <laughs> I've never been able to wipe that image from my mind. That's disgusting. <laughs> well, now, no, nothing like that. <laughs> now, 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 you got me thinking. If you ever make the show, is is Brad Marchand going to groom your beard like a mama cat at some point? Is my question. But here's the, <laughs> yeah. here, here's the thing I wanted to ask you though about the uh, the the thing you said. Blood is blood in the beard a washout or a cutout when you get blood in the beard? Well, I think it's like a few a few times I've gotten like I haven't actually been cut thankfully with it. So like you know sticks and like pucks have like glanced it, and I get like these like pressure cuts almost kind of. So it just like bleeds a little, but there's no need for like stitches. So right. it's always just like washout versus like I've never had to get stitches where a doc's had to like cut it or anything <laughs> like that. I probably wouldn't let him. I just would have a hole in my face. <laughs> I love it. Well, Colton, you played four years for Northeastern University, and your last season was 2015-16. And by my count, you've played for eight different teams since then, and that doesn't include, you know, stints like showing up for Marley's camp. So I was just wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about what it's like when you're bouncing around in the minors at this stage in your career and, and you know, maybe some tales from the road. Um, it's definitely, <laughs> I, you know, everybody's path is kind of different, right? You know, you have some guys that are, you know, drafted and they get their, you know, franchise players type thing. I just wasn't that guy. And I am still, you know, chasing the dream that all of us have of trying to play in the NHL one day. And obviously I'd love to stay somewhere and not have to travel every other weekend, but I, I just embrace it. And I, you know, I don't have a family or anything right now. And so it's, it's easy. It's not, I'm, there's nobody, nobody's affected by it, but me. So I, I just really embrace it, and um, you know, you get to see some pretty cool cities, and and get to meet a lot of great guys. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely just enjoying the ride. The one thing I've always wanted to ask a guy who's bounced around a little bit like you have is how difficult it is just to know everybody on the team when you know you show up one day and might have to play that night. Like, is there ever a situation where you're on the ice and you're just like, I don't know any of the guys' names that I'm playing with right now? <laughs> Well, and the, yeah, so that's the funny thing, and I'm terrible with names too. So it's like by the time I learn first names, like nobody in hockey, it just seems to be a thing in hockey. Nobody goes by their first name, so it, you know I could learn everybody's first name because when you introduce yourself to everybody, you use, "Oh, hi, I'm Colton." Well, sure. I don't. Nobody calls me Colton, but my mom, I think. So <laughs> to learn everybody's nickname, and so it's usually a lot of "Hey." I'm open or <laughs> hey bud like <laughs> so I I just I just try to not mess it up I guess and call somebody by the wrong name. Now everybody's everybody's you know posting pictures of you and and everybody's into the beard and everybody's sort excited about the name. But you honestly helped yourself to this viral acclaim. Dude, if you dress up like Gritty for Halloween, 
you clearly have eyes on becoming a Kardashian-level viral sensation in 2018. Tell us about your decision to go as Gritty. It, I was bullied. I was bullied into it. I didn't, <laughs> didn't like want to go. I was bullied as a child. You guys have a lot in common. <laughs> I, I was like... The guys in Manchester, uh, they were like, they started calling me Gritty for like a week or two before Halloween. Like, uh, it was actually uh, Gaspar Kopitar, the one who started it, and uh, uh, Anzi's little brother, and he uh, he was just like, you look at Gritty, man. Like, you have to go as Gritty for Halloween. And I was like, no, I'm not, I don't look like him. And I was mad about it for like a week, and then finally... I was looking at pictures online, like trying to find a, maybe a costume that they made, and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm gritty. <laughs> like, I just, it's too it's too perfect." So I decided to go, and the equipment manager helped me out and made that custom like flyers jersey for me, and definitely went above and beyond whatever he has to do for the <laughs> for his team roles to help me out for one night costume. But um, no, it was a blast. That's amazing. So now I have to ask, you mentioned you're bullied into it. Gritty, part of his backstory is that he was bullied as a child. Is there any other ways yeah. you saw yourself in Gritty? <laughs> uh, my, I think my energy and enthusiasm, he seems mm-hmm. to have uh, a lot of, you know, um, excitement and he enjoys just being around, doing what he does. And I guess I consider myself the same way and I try to, you know, bring that to the rink every day, just the excitement and energy level. And I guess, yeah, about the excitement, man, like, you know, we've, we've danced around this idea that you've become a viral sensation in the last couple of weeks, but you have. Barstool noticed you. Twitter noticed you. You're everywhere now. Um, how's that been? Like, like, is there a part of you that's like, because I think you mentioned this, too, in your, like, little Utica uh, interview when you got there, is like, I hope I can, you know, there could be a little bit more focus on what I bring to the team than simply just the beard and, and the name and stuff. Has has is it tough when you go viral and all of a sudden people are like talking about you, but they're not necessarily talking about what you're doing on the ice? Yeah, it was it was funny. Like I think after my first game, the the general manager walked by as I was getting interviewed and was like telling the reporters to ask me a hockey question. <laughs> um, so it was uh, you know, I don't I, I know that it comes with its own you know, amount of attention and, and I, yeah, I just, I just embrace it and I enjoy that. But I mean, yeah, it's, I want to be, I guess, recognized too for, for hopefully being a, a decent hockey player and trying to do my role. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely want that first and foremost. And, and obviously everything on the side, um, is just kind of a bonus. Well, then where can people follow you if they want to follow your career? You're on social media, I uh, gather. Yes. Yes, uh, just Instagram and um, and Twitter. I guess Instagram's probably my main main platform now. It's uh, right. Hot Sauce 2323. Two, three, two, three. All right, Hot Sauce, listen. You've been amazing. We really thank you for your time. Just promise us this. If you ever make the show, fight Brent Burns. We need, we need, we need <laughs> Beard versus Beard and a fight. And then Emily and I can basically not work for the rest of the year because of how many clicks it'll get. Uh, that wouldn't be much of a fight. He'd probably do. He'd probably uh, sit me down pretty quick. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, um, all right. Maybe uh, maybe I'll, I'll if I ever make it there and he agrees, then we'll do beard on beard. You heard it here first. All right, man. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Colton Sosterman from Utica joining us here on the podcast. One assumes that with a beard like that, no one would see a stylish bow tie should he wear it. 
But if he did want to try one out, I strongly suggest pairing it with an Indochino suit. Indochino is one of the best places for men to buy their stuff. And by stuff, I mean measured suits that fit better compared to generic off-the-rack stuff. They have a huge variety of fabrics and colors and patterns that make Indochino uh, stuff so stylish. It's a unique experience. You can play designer in consultation with their style guides. Here's how it works. You visit a stylist in their showroom and have them take your measurements personally, or you measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. Now, what are you shopping for? You're shopping for suits and shirts made to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort with a wide variety of fabrics and colors and styles to choose from. And you can even personalize it with a little lapel lining or pocket or buttons or even your own monogram. You choose your fabric inside and out. You choose your design customizations. You submit your measurements with your choices and you relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in a couple of weeks because Indochino is North America's leading made-to-measure menswear company. This week, listeners to ESPN on Ice can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com when entering promo code ICE, I-C-E, at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code ICE for any premium suit for just 359 bucks and free shipping. I highly recommend it. It's my go-to suit jacket, as Emily knows. It makes me look pretty good. Incredible deal for a premium made to measure suit. And now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Till Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Yes, it's time for Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Uh, the segment in which we look at the various uh, foibles and failings of the hockey media. And this one's a, a point of debate. We're going to put our, our friend Dave Isaac in the segment this week. Now, Dave, as you may have known, broke a huge story on Sunday. The story being that the Philadelphia Flyers were going to fire Dave Haxtall and that Joel Quenville, a three-time Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks, had been offered the position and will accept it. Quote, it's unknown if he will take the job quickly enough to make his debut Tuesday night when the Flyers play against the Detroit Wood Wings at home or after the holiday break. If he waits, look for assistant coach Rick Wilson or Lehigh Valley fandoms coach Scott Gordon to beat an interim coach until Quenville joins the club. Problem being that Chuck Fletcher in his uh, his uh, press conference on Monday, while confirming the part of the story in which Dave Haxtell was in fact fired, said that A, They've not had a conversation with the Blackhawks to acquire the uh, permission to talk to Joel Quenville. B, he personally has not spoken to Joel Quenville in over two years. And then C, that Scott Gordon is going to be the interim coach he expects for the remainder of the regular season. So what do we do with this one, Emily? Do we applaud Dave for getting it right that Dave Dave Haxtell was in fact fired on the day in in which he was fired? Or do we uh, poo-poo him? for getting everything else wrong. I think it's really tricky and awkward. Um, and I do like Dave a lot. And I, I believe that at the time he reported that, that's just what his sources were saying. But unless you're 100% sure, that coach signed the contract. He was offered the contract and he verbally accepted it. And you know that's going to happen. I think the wording of it has to reflect that. So I think this easily could have been couched and he could have been definitely right if he said, look, they're going to fire Hextall. 
and this is who they're targeting. Uh, he did not write that, and therefore I just feel uncomfortable and a little bit uneasy about what was published. Yeah, but as they said in Slapshot, he captured the spirit of the thing. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines, uh, news from around the hockey world. Dateline Edmonton. Ken Hitchcock is working the refs, baby. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on the penalties he said recently. The stuff that really bothers me is what's happening to Connor. That really bothers me because we're a league that's supposed to showcase our top players. You don't want them. You don't want to give them all the freedom. But the talk of war on him was absolutely ridiculous today. That's a little bit discouraging, to be honest with you. I can see the whacking and hacking when he has the puck. It's all the stuff behind that doesn't allow him to showcase his speed. And that's what we want. That's fine. I think it's a real disservice to a player like him. McDavid is 15th in penalties drawn at five on five with 11. Um, he has a few more in other game situations. Uh, Emily, your thoughts? Is Connor McDavid not getting all the penalties he should get uh, from the hu- the hugging and the tugging and the grabbing and the clutching, according to Ken Hitchcock, who, might I remind you, for a lot of years played a system in which there was a lot of hugging and tugging and grabbing and holding. That's the greatest irony I find in this, right? Uh, first, I hope that Ken Hitchcock is wearing his infamous hockey sweatshirt while wearing this because this is a true <laughs> hockey take. Uh, yeah, look, there's no question that Connor is treated on the ice differently than other players. He's targeted a bit more. But I do think that refs are aware of that, and they know that, look, if we don't call it on them, it's going to come on us. So I think he's treated fairly. Um, Dateline Raleigh. Whalers night is December 23rd for the Carolina Hurricanes. As I said this morning on Twitter, uh, if they don't sell out, is that actually a homage to Hartford? Pucky the Whale will be there. Mike Rogers, for some reason, will drop the first puck. Uh, not exactly top of my list as far as Whalers alumni, but what have you. While this game does benefit Connecticut-based hockey charities, does it make you feel weird at all that the Hurricanes are doing this with the Whalers jerseys? I think I'm in the minority. I kind of love it because I feel like so many times in sports when a team relocates, they just divorce themselves totally from that fan base. They alienate Mm -hmm. them, and they're like, we're a whole new team, and it almost erases the history that existed there. And I know it's really salty for people in the Connecticut area that rooted for this team. They don't have a team anymore. They're probably never going to get a team again, let's be honest, uh, just based off the way the league is trending. But just to honor what was, I think we can view it like that. And, yeah, the fact that, you know, money's going to Connecticut charities is is a nice way of saying, look, we're not going to, you know, give more money to Raleigh. We can't quite support this team either. <laughs> Oof, shade. Yeah, wow, yikes. Ooh, that, that took a sour turn. Phone phone call from Tom Dundon coming up. Um, Like I said before about this, like my, my big beef is that they should be playing this game somewhere in Connecticut. Uh, But right. again, that's giving up a home game. That's what have you. But I think that would be the cool thing to do. Dateline uh, Toronto. Kyle Dubas is trying to keep Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner away from offer sheet city. It would be our intention well before July 1st that we have an agreement and both players are here long term. One way or another, we'll get to that point, said Dubas recently. He also has been saying that it's kind of unfair that teams always bring up the Leafs when it comes to offer sheets, but none of the other, you know, 25 teams that have high profile young restricted free agents next summer. Do you think any, do you think an offer sheet comes either of these guys' ways? Or do you think they sign well before July 1st? Okay, well, the one point I want to make is the reason that the Leafs are always brought up is that the disproportionate amount of NHL media lives in Toronto. <laughs> Like, it's a disproportionate amount that we write about the Leafs. 
Uh, I think, you know, the more people you talk to, it's not an offer sheet culture in the NHL. They think that could shift just because of the dynamics of the league and the way teams need to now pay players and can't quite afford it with the salary cap structure. I think it's a possibility. What I think is more interesting here is Kyle Dubas' declarations, which has now become a trend for him, and then he has to double down on them. Yeah. He made that declaration, like, we can keep them all. Now he feels like he needs to, you know, cement that. I'm dying to see what Matthews ends up with. Like, I, I feel like, you know, Connor well, said a certain... I think easy. You think so? I think Matthews like, is getting get the max deal. You just I think Marner's McDav- a tricky one. You give him McDavid money? Yeah. That's a, lot, money. that's a pretty That's a pretty heavy t- top of the cap then, isn't it? I don't know. It is. I feel, I feel like I feel like it could go one of, one of two ways. It could be just straight up McDavid money, or it could be like, hey, you know... Look what Sid Sid's done through the years for his team, and look how many cups they won. You know, by taking a little bit less off the top, we're able to kind of pay other parts of the lineup. I I, I guarantee you that's going to be part of the sell. But then at the end of the day, is Matthews just going to be like, yeah, that's great. Uh, give me Connor money. There's no way he's making under 11 mil. I, I would agree with that. Uh, Dateline Chicago beloved mascot Tommy Hawk got into an actual fight with a fan of the concourse of United Center after a game recently. According to Chicago police spokeswoman Jessica Rocco uh, to the Chicago Tribune, an unknown man approached Tommy Hawk, began to yell obscenities in his direction, and put him in a headlock. After Tommy Hawk broke free, the man fled. United Center security contacted police after the incident and filed a report. And as of the taping of this podcast, no arrest has been made. Um, Emily, first of all, surprise Tommy Hawk was assailed. And second of all, which mascot would you like to fight? There's been tough times in Chicago. He's probably had to endure a lot. And, you know, there's just a boiling point for all of us. <laughs> um, as for who I would fight, um, I'm doing this solely for street cred. And that obviously would have to be gritty just because <laughs> every other weekend I see my friend Jake. He asked me where my big gritty profile is. And I can't wait to come back to him. He's like, you know what? I didn't write about the guy, but I fought him. <laughs> Beat the crap out of him. Yep. Uh, mine would be Finn the Whale from the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Not because I dislike Finn. But how do you not look at that giant bulbous whale nose and not just want to like punch it? A, because it's there, and B, because there's a good possibility it makes a, a delightful squeak <laughs> if you hit it hard enough. That's my thought. <laughs> All right, joining us now, Linda Cohen. You know your lover. Uh, she and John Butchergrass uh, provide everything you possibly could want. From that night's NHL action in the crease on ESPN Plus, it has become a extraordinarily valuable thing for me, an East Coast boy, to catch up with the West Coast stuff in the morning. And she joins us now. How are you, Linda? I'm doing great. Yeah, isn't it fun? I mean, it's so great for all three of us to get together chatting on this amazing podcast. And then I look forward to coming into work every single night to host in the crease, which I do five nights a week. And it's great. I mean, if you guys could see my setup in the L.A. Uh, studios, I'm sitting there just watching hockey with multiple screens. And I'm not doing this to say, oh, wow, you know, that kind of thing. It's just something that, you know, we all fight the fight and work so hard to reach this kind of place. And we keep fighting the fight. And, and so far, so good, you know? You're dang, you're dang right. And, and you've been... You've been the beacon of light for hockey fans on this network for so long, and now look at you. Now, now you're now you're on a hockey show. It's the best. Yes, it is awesome. So what's love- up? Yeah, so we've got uh, Amy who wrote into us, and she wanted to know about a team that I know you know well, and that's the Rangers, and it's involving goaltending, kind of. 
She says, do you think the Rangers will acquire some serious help in the defensive zone for Lundquist this season? Uh, no. Sorry, Amy. I think, yeah, listen, I mean, listen, Lundquist uh, chose where he wanted to be, okay? So even though he's going to go into the Hall of Fame anyway with, with or without a cop, he's chosen to stay with the New York Rangers, you know? So he has to deal with what the Rangers give him. And the Rangers have made it clear, Jeff Gordon and company, and I don't have to tell you guys, the fact that this is a reboot. And they're going to do what's best for the, you know, the future. And if they win in the present, that's great. But, um, you know, what I find really strange is, you know, is that he's playing so many games. Um, You know, I mean, I don't know what the situation there. They keep being up and down like a roller coaster, Georgiev from Hartford. So I don't see them making any moves to improve the back line because they're not in a win-now situation. And Lundqvist chose to be in this situation, and he could say all he wants about, you know, how great a competitor he is and how he wants to win the Cup, but I think he wants to be in New York more than anything. And so it's really, I just don't see management helping him out in that way. We had Seth Jones on the uh, the show uh, this week, and we talked briefly about Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky being free agents. There's been this notion that although the Rangers are quote unquote trying to do it right with these young kids and the whole thing, that they're going to dip their toe back right into that free agent pool this summer and go grab themselves a Panarin or an Eric Carlson or something like that. Do you think that's in the cards for the Rangers, or do you think this is a, a legit slow build back to they contention? Just can't help themselves. Right, exactly. I mean, no, I, I agree with you, Greg, and I agree with those kind of uh, voices in the air. Because I don't think it's going to happen in season like Amy was hoping, but um, in, in her question, I think if it does happen all, it would be in the off season because they're going to realize, wow, you know what? I, I think right now the Rangers have overachieved. I didn't think they would be oh, yeah. as competitive as they are. <laughs> so I think management, you know, listen, I don't know what they think, but I'm just you know reading the tea leaves. And, you know, if this team, I don't think the team's making the playoffs, but if they're, you know, make a, if the month of March is interesting and they're fighting for a playoff spot, I think they are going to go there, Greg, because they're going to say, you know what, we're not too far, far away if we add, you know, an elite player like a Panarin who would fit in great. I have a feeling he'd be a big hit, uh, in New York. Um, so I, that, you know, I've been around, you know, from the old days, you know, it's, they say they're different, but I think, they're smarter now with their decisions, uh, but I would not be surprised if they picked up um, a Panarin. But I, but I still think they have to improve their defense, though. I think it'd be nice to get, you know, who's ever available, Greg and Emily, you know, uh, in the off season uh, on the back line. It'd be nice to get someone, someone there if they're really serious about making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the way I view it, uh, Linda, is if they pick up a. Eric Carlson or Panarin, it's like ESPN picking up a highlight show this year uh, for hockey, which would just be a great addition and, and totally take them to the next level. So we can all watch that highlight show ES on ESPN Plus in the crease. Linda, you host it. You're awesome. And we're looking forward to having you on the pod uh, quite a bit this season. Yeah, I hope so. I love it for sure. All right. No rant line this week because Seth Jones was pretty great. And we had Linda on and stuff. So try again next week, Rantliners. That's the show for this week. You could find me at Wyshynski on Twitter. You can find my stuff on ESPN.com. At Emily M. Kaplan, also on ESPN.com. And happy holidays, everyone. And bye. Happy holidays and bye.
This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.